Okay, so uh, I had to do a little digging this week, a little, little groundwork, some legwork, and I was able to uh, secure some, uh, some hidden camera footage from your lives this last week. You came in, hopefully you came to church last week, you heard the word of God, you're like, yeah, that's great, I'm going to do something about that, and then I, I got some footage from your life this week. So just direct your attention, if you would, to the screens. This is God's word pulling you out of the ditch. Yeah. That's awesome, guys. That's good. Wait, no, guys. Hold on. Just wait. Oh. <laughs> How many of you guys have that experience before, yeah? No? That's happened to none of you. There's two honest people in this room right now. I could pray and we do this again. You got rescue. Would you give me the next one? I got some other footage. This is God doing his best for you, pulling you out of the muck and the mire, headlong into the, the ditch, wedged with no hope. And what do you do? You jump right back in there. <laughs> You're not to be trusted. Not to be trusted. Hey, would you grab your Bible this morning? Again, uh, I don't do this just to amuse you. This uh, is relevant to the, the message this morning. And uh, we're going to be in Acts uh, chapter 20. And I'm going to be uh, verses 28 through 32 this morning. Now, um, let me ask you just real quick, talk back to me. Uh, why did the sheep wind up like they did? Say, wait, wait, I heard habit. Habit. What else? It's a sheep. Not smart. What else? Uh, somebody's fear. Okay. Uh, fear. Okay. How many guys vote? Um, this is like 50% or less or 50% or more. And if it's 50% or less, they're dumb. And if 50% or more, they're not as dumb as we make them out to be. So how many of you guys say sheep are stupid? They're dumb, and that's the problem, 50% or, or less. Their, their intelligence does not meet with their requirements for getting through life. It says the problem is sheep are just dumb in general. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty even split. So the rest of you, then I got to believe, are 50% or more, yeah? The sheep are at least intelligent enough to make it through life? I mean, I guess so. Okay. Well, here's, uh, here's what I want to do. Uh, I'll give you uh, verse 28 here, and uh, we're going to unpack the word this morning, and uh, 28 is where we ended last week, and essentially the, the root of it is this. This is uh, Paul talking to the leaders of the church in Ephesus, and that little bit of separation is not meant to give you um, the idea that this is only required of, of leaders. Uh, it's, it's really what's required of all the people that follow God. All the people that follow God should have a certain character uh, of, of them which is obedience, which is humility, which is uh, 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 seeking God's word to apply it in all of their lives. And so Paul gives this careful, um, very vehement like admonition to them. And he says this, pay careful attention to yourself. So he first says, look to yourself so that you're not in a, some hypocritical way trying to help other people get out of ditches, right? So you got to be out of the ditch yourself. And he says, but also to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church. Now, this word to care is important. That word for care is literally the word to shepherd, to pastor. So I made the case last week that the word for elder, overseer, shepherd, those are all interchangeable. They're not the same word, but they're interchangeable and they represent the same office because they represent the same thing, which is to care for the flock of God. So I want you to connect a couple of things. He says, pay attention to yourself and to all the flock. Well, who's the flock? Well, the flock here is the church. That is for the church of God, that, that's the, the word of the congregation, the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So because of 
that price because you're so precious to him. It's important that we pay mind to how we conduct ourselves, what we're doing in our lives. Now, um, so, so this is sort of our launching point this morning. I don't think I have to make the case very hard that you know sort of throughout scripture that God's people are referred to as his flock, right? His people are sheep. Now, if you voted earlier and you said the problem is that sheep are dumb, right? There's some, 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 some self-implication there. So are you winding up in the ditch because you're too dumb not to wind up in the ditch or is there something else probably at play? So I think there's something else at play here and it's uh, what we're gonna unpack this week. So I wanna direct your attention to John chapter 21. So you have some context uh, of what's happening in this scene. Um, Peter, who is famous for um, blurting out things, sometimes to his benefit, sometimes to his detriment, um, has confessed previous to this that Jesus was the Christ. He was the first person that wasn't, uh, um, uh, that was just a follower to, to confess this. And, and Jesus says, hey, uh, you know, it's not flesh and blood that you know this, it's by the Spirit of God. And so Peter has this moment, and then right after that, he also says something to Jesus, like, Jesus, no, you'll never die. And then he gets called Satan. So, like, he gets both, right? He, he, gets, he talks a lot. He's gotten both. Well, just after um, the Lord tells him that, uh, Peter is going to deny him. He says, I'll never deny you, right? I'll follow you to my death. Well, if you know the story, you know that Peter denies Jesus three times. Uh, and this was predicted. And what happens after that is post-resurrection, after Jesus has uh, appeared to many, he appears to the disciples on the beach. And, and what we find is that Peter has gone back to the life that he knows. And he's brought some of the disciples with him. Let me say that again. Peter has left what Jesus asked him to do, which is to follow him. And because of whatever failure he sees in his life and, and the word that he's spoken, he, he's getting his words from that. And he says, I am not worthy to either do this or I, I don't think I have the, the makeup to make it happen. And so he's gone back to the life of fishing, which is where Jesus found him originally when he said, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And so Peter had left and he's got some disciples with him. Well, Jesus shows up on the beach and... Um, he tells uh, Peter, who's not having a great day fishing, to, to cast his net out on the other side. They, they get this great haul of fish, and Jesus serves them breakfast. And then there's this moment where Peter is face-to-face um, -face with Jesus. And here it is. This is uh, John 21, starting verse 15. He says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That, that, um, that question, more than these, what, who is he talking about? What is he talking about? More than what? Well, Simon, do you love me more than the life that you know? Do you love me more than the life that you control? Do you love me more than how you're, you're finding your worth in what you say and what you've done in your failure or your success? Do you love me more than those things? And so Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus says to him, feed my lambs, okay? Feed my lambs. There's gonna be three commands and that's the first one, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. It's the, same, it's the same kind of phrase, but it's a little different. You notice that he first says, feed my lambs, and then he says, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? So uh, what you don't see in, in our English translation is that each time Jesus asked Peter if he loves him, he uses a little different view, um, the best that I can is essentially what's happening underneath this, this terminology. But he says, he said to him, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
Now, a couple verses later, he gets one last command, and it's follow me, which is the first command that Jesus gave to Peter. And so he's kind of recapping this whole thing. So what's happening here in this set of three commands? Let me help you see something. So the three commands are slightly different. The first one says, feed my lambs. And and the the word there is literally um, to feed, but it's to pasture. Keep that in mind for just a second. To feed my lambs. And he uses the word for like small lambs, like like the smallest, most innocent, most vulnerable, most impressionable. He wants wants Peter to feed his, his lambs. So that's the first command, and he specifically points towards the young and the vulnerable. This would be those who would require the the extra attention and the protection and the training and the care and the emphasis on the nature of the least mature, the nature of the the very newly initiated or not yet initiated or just coming into the world. Do you see that? That would be like a new believer. And and they're the most vulnerable, and they've got to be um, fed in a certain way, okay? And, And so after that, then the second time, he says, tend my sheep. And so he uses the word that we've been talking about, which is to care. Or, or to shepherd. And then he uses the word for like an adult flock. So tend my sheep, he says. So first he says, feed the little lambs. And then he says, shepherd, uh, shepherd the flock, okay? And so this is essentially Peter um, being told to pastor. Peter says the same thing in First Peter in his own letter that he, he wrote. He said, uh, you should shepherd the flock of God among you. Again, talking to the elders of the church. And it's the same phrase that, that Paul just used in Acts, where he's commanding the Ephesian elders to shepherd the flock, to care for the flock. This is the word, right? Tend to the sheep. So shepherds uh, are, are to serve the flock by, by watching over them. The, the, the point here is oversight and care and, uh, and, and management of the whole herd. But then the last time, he combines both. He says, feed the sheep. Feed the sheep. So pasture the sheep. So he's got feed the lambs. He's got um, pasture, or, yeah, pasture the flock. And then he says feed the sheep. Okay. So we've got kind of the combination of these three things. And in Psalm 23, which I think you're familiar with, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It makes me to lie down in green pastures. Good pastures. Think about this for a second. When, when the command is to feed sheep, how do you feed it? How do you feed sheep? You don't, you, don't, you don't pick the grass up for them and hold it in your hand and shove it in their mouth. You don't do that. You put them in a place where they can find good food to eat. But guess what? It's up to the sheep to actually eat that grass. You see this? And so here's the, here's the, the, the overarching purpose of why I'm, I'm being so uh, particular about this. So tending, caring, providing, nourishing, guiding, leading, protecting, resting, all of this is summed up in the idea of, of pasturing a sheep. You put them in a certain place where, where, where you can watch over them. You make sure that that place is, has, has good food. Um, and then at night when, when they're vulnerable, you take care of them. You put them in a place where they're even more secure. And, and so these are all um, part of what it means to be God's flock and have him watch over us. And then you notice every time that he gives him this command, whose who sheep are they? They're Jesus' sheep. They're God's sheep. And that's the last part of Acts 28 where he says, look, because he paid a, a precious price for you and, and you belong to him, so you don't belong to me, you're, you're Jesus' sheep. And so in John 10, let me give you one more aspect of this. John, Jesus is teaching about what it means to be one of his sheep, okay? And uh, this is sort of lengthy, so I'm gonna buzz through it, but I'm just gonna highlight some of the things that he says characterize his sheep. So we've got one aspect of it where we're looking at like, well, what is the shepherd responsible for? Like, that's what Peter's commanded to do. But then Jesus is talking about, well, what is the, what is the sheep kind of responsible for? So what are the sheep supposed to do? Now, Jesus says, truly I say to you, 
He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief or a robber. So the sheepfold is the pen, right? That's just where, where the sheep stay at, at night. And he says, if they come in any other way, then that person's looking to steal sheep. They're not, they're not out for the sheep's good. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And to him, the gatekeeper opens. Don't read too much into this. This is a parable. He's just using a common thing that would happen. Look, everybody knows that the sheep go into the pen at night. And if the shepherd owns the sheep, he calls out and the gatekeeper knows that and he lets him in. So he says, but if somebody comes into the, the pen another way, that person's a robber and a thief. Okay, so he's saying the gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Okay, so the gatekeeper says, hey, that's the shepherd. I know that he owns some sheep. He opens the gate and the shepherd comes in. He calls out and the sheep go, that's my leader. That's my shepherd. I know that guy. I'm going to follow him out of the pen. Okay, and he says, when he has brought all out all his own, he goes before them. So now he's going to not struggle behind them and let them find their own way. He's going to go in front of them and lead them. And they follow him. The sheep follow him. The sheep follow him. He doesn't put all of them on his back. Like we have this image of Jesus where he's carrying the light, fluffy sheep, right? But, but now he does that. There's an aspect of Jesus' care and niceness and he pets you and he you know, pulls the briars out of your coat or whatever that is. But look, your job is to follow the shepherd and recognize his voice, okay? So they know his voice. A stranger, they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, that's interesting. It says, if, if, if this sheep really belongs to the shepherd, he should know to, to follow that. He should obey his voice, because when they hear a foreign voice, they, shouldn't, they should flee from that. And he's, he's not actually saying it's an automatic thing. He's saying what they should do if they recognize this as a strange voice or a strange way of leading. So this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So Jesus again said to them, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So importantly, first Jesus's words were, if somebody comes in any other way to the pen, that person is a thief and a robber. So here's the idea. If you belong to Jesus, you're one of God's own sheep, and somebody enters in, to lead you by some other way than Jesus, okay? They're, they're claiming some, some version of authority to be the person you need to listen to, and they're entering by some other way of Jesus. They're not there to help you, okay? But all who came before me are thieves and robbers. That would be those who claim to have some insight about God, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. He will go in and out and find pasture. There is a dynamic, ongoing situation here. It's not you got thrown in the pen one time and, and now you're good forever and ever. You've got to go on. You've got to feed all throughout the rest of your life. You don't just eat one time and then die, right? Right? Okay. So, so there's a dynamic situation here and you've got to go in and out and find pasture. He's not coming in. He's not bringing the pasture into the pen. He's expecting you to hear his voice and follow his lead. And so you should do that because the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy but I came that they may have life and abundantly. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand does not, um, and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. Jesus just said that three times. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And anybody else that doesn't do it this way is a hired hand and they're not gonna help you and you shouldn't listen to them because they're just wolves and they're here to scatter and tear and destroy. 
Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He's saying, he's, he's referring to the Gentiles at this moment. He's teaching the Jews, but he's referring to the Gentiles. And he said, um, there will be one flock under one shepherd. So we're all going to be united. And so the Jews gathered around him and they said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? This is later. If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus said, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you don't believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. You listen? You're listening to all kinds of things in the world. So, so you're listening to a message, a specific message, but you also need to discern whether or not that's the voice of the master, the shepherd that you need to follow. And then if it is, you have to have to do something about that and follow the shepherd. Are you, are you tracking with all those things? So even though I'm called the pastor, the under-shepherd, Jesus is the head shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And so long as I'm echoing Jesus' words, God's word, like you understand that the idea to feed here is, is to feed on God's word, to be sustained by the word of God, to, to follow what his will is, what his counsel is for your, for your life, so that your obligation is not just to hear the word of God. You could come, sit in this church for the next 30 years, and God forbid, but you could hear the truth and never have it do anything in you if you don't also obey that truth. So just being in the same vicinity as where the truth is or in the pen is not enough. You can also be amongst other sheep that look like you, that profess to be sheep, but they don't belong to the same master. So you're identified by several different things, not just the fact that you are a sheep, but you belong to a certain person and you are identified by the fact that you follow that voice of the shepherd. You're tracking with this whole story. Let me pray for the rest of our time in the Word and see what the Lord would teach. Father, we ask this morning that you would help us. Um, we need uh, to hear your voice this morning and not mine. So I just ask that it would be your, your words that speak and not my own, but that um, your voice would be clearly discerned. And so um, we ask that you would move um, where we fail so often, which is to apply the truths that you speak to our hearts you would apply those things for us and to us, but be obedient, and we would follow where you would lead. We ask that um, this word would just do its work this morning by your spirit to help us to do what we cannot, which is to um, make all of this true, and that you would receive glory for all of it. So we ask that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So according to Jesus, the sheep are his, and they know him, and the relationship is seen primarily not exclusively, but primarily, and their responsiveness and their, their following of him. And they don't do it perfectly, like we wander off, right? We get that. But the idea is here is like striving for obedience. Now, that might have seemed like a little bit of a, a waypoint here, but um, let's read uh, after verse 28. So remember he said like, hey, be careful, watch over the flock. Why? What's Paul's concern? Well, because I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So, so Paul's main concern here is that there's going to be people that come in called wolves and, uh, and they're going to tear apart the flock. And so his, his number one concern here is what's going to happen with his church in his absence. 
because he's been able to be there and be this presence and, and, and be the, the standard bearer of truth and to declare God's word, even though it hadn't been inscripturated yet. He hadn't written everything uh, by the Holy Spirit. So contrary to what you may have started this sermon assuming, sheep aren't dumb. Sheep aren't dumb. They just have a certain nature. What is that nature? Well, they're instinct, instinctive pack animals, right? They follow um, their, their, their needs, just like you do. Uh, if you have a, a need of something like water or air or clothing or food, right? All those things, you, you follow your instincts to, to procure those things, and so do sheep. But they also have a trusting nature, right? They trust somebody to, to care for them and lead them. Because on their own, wandering off just to find food or shelter or whatever it is, they get into trouble. They jump into, they jump into ditches right after they've been rescued from them, right? So, so you need the help, but you also need to be surrounded by other sheep. And so um, it, it's not that they're dumb. It's that their, their nature is one that can be exploited. Can I say that again? Their nature is trusting, and so it can be exploited to their detriment, okay? And so all the characteristics and the instincts of sheep uh, are are good, right? We're called to follow. We're called to trust. We're called to put our life in the hands of the good shepherd and to obey that as his voice and to seek him. But if we don't do that in a discerning way, we get into more trouble than we, than we, we need to, right? So you might think, oh, I already love Jesus. I listen to his voice. He pets me. We're good. We're good, right? So this message isn't for me. But at this moment, when Paul's telling the Ephesian elders, they're, they're thinking the same thing. They're thinking, I don't know, I'm like, I'm looking around, I don't think there's any wolves here. Like, you would say that to yourself. In fact, you're probably saying that right now. Unless you know something about somebody next to you that I don't, right? So you might think, there's no wolves here, and that's the problem. Because sheep are not dumb, they're trusting, okay? And so we kind of look at the outward appearances, and what Paul is saying here is that, listen, from among you, from your own number, is going to arise people who are going to be fierce wolves, and they're going to tear apart the flock. Now, Jesus warns um, about wolves in, in uh, the similar, similar way, false teachers, in uh, Matthew 7. Appearances are deceiving, okay? Appearances are deceiving. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in what? Sheep's clothing. The word there is a coat, right? A veneer on the outside. But inwardly, they're ravenous wolves, and you will recognize them by their fruits, okay? So his, his warning is that outwardly, they're sheep. So when you look at the person next to you and you're like, you look like me. You say the same things as I do. You seem to believe the same things I do. You must also be a sheep, okay? And that's exactly what Jesus said you would think. Because outwardly, people are gonna wear a sheep coat, a sheep veneer. But you don't know people by the outward appearance. Outwardly, these people are sheep. They're claiming to be Christians. They're people that you know. They're, they're good. They're giving. They, you, you've seen them pray. You've seen them give. They donated wool at the last, you know, wool drive or whatever that is that sheep do, okay? They have a sheepy veneer, but this is why they can get close enough to be a danger to you. And, and so the, the point here is not to be skeptical of every person that you're sitting next to. The point is to be alert. That's what Jesus wants, to be alert about something not on the outside, but on the inside. All false teachers and false teachings are wolves inwardly, not outwardly. Outwardly, they're going to be very sheepy, very sheepy, Okay? And so those that announce their ill intentions are not our concern. If somebody comes in and is like, I'm here to eat you, what are you going to do? Stay on the outside. I'm going to shut the door, right? With the three little pigs kind of thing, right? So, so the things that they feed on, okay, the things that the sheep feed on, their appetite, if you will, 
is an indication of what they are on the inside, their appetites. What is their true intention? Are they here to fleece the flock? Have you heard that? Okay, that that word to fleece the flock means to take something, to to enrich oneself at the expense of of somebody else, to, to, to essentially take advantage of them. And that's what false teachers want to do. They want the attention of the flock. They want the power. They want the influence. And they want to maybe enrich their own lives, their own selves, off of the nature of the sheep. So the veneer is not how you will identify false teachers. So here's uh, a couple things, or three things I think I have, that a sheepy veneer will do for you, okay? A sheepy veneer can exploit a good-natured compassion, empathy, and sympathy. Here's what I mean by that. If somebody next to you is a sheep on the outside and a wolf on the inside, you are going to tend to look at the outside and lend them empathy if something happens to them. Or if, if, if somebody's harsh with them or corrects them, you're going to give them sympathy where it's not warranted. And because you're good-natured and you want to do that. But here's the thing. There's, a, there's really a, a black and white situation here. And it's, we, we want to make it really gray so that we can be in our nature but not have to be discerning. But all of this is, is around the, the fact that the sheep are warned to be alert, to be on guard, okay? So to help you be on guard, you should know that your good-natured compassion, empathy, and sympathy can be exploited by a wolf to get you to feel sorry for them, to give them compassion that they don't deserve. They can, a sheep of veneer can bait you into giving ear, offering fellowship where and when you shouldn't, okay? Now, you be like, how does this happen? Well, because your friend, Joe, oh, that's a, who's a generic name? I can, Bill, do we have a Bill here? No, okay. So, so Bill, is it great? He's a sheepy uh, guy and, and you love each other, but then last week, he just happened to eat your friend, okay? And then he's like, hey, I didn't mean that. I mean, it wasn't a big deal, okay? So he snacked on your buddy and he's not here anymore. And then you, you lend him um, ear offering and he's like look here's what's happened like my life is kind of difficult I was extra hungry I didn't have a Snickers and so I just ate Frank or whatever it is right and so you you give him ear offering a fellowship when you ought not to when when um, Paul is warning the church about the problem of people that say they're sheep but live like they're not and they reveal their appetites and intentions his command is always to get get them out of your midst don't fellowship with them why because you're allowing them to be closer. You're affirming their bad behavior. And you say, it's okay that you ain't frank. Try not to do it again. And then he does it again and again, okay? So you can be baited into giving ear or offering fellowship where you should. And it can also deceive you to accept that the coat is enough. So let's say that Bill continues in his um, friend-eating ways, right? And, and you're just like, eventually you're like, hey, I think you're kind of a wolf, man. He's like, yeah, but I got this sheep coat. And so he goes, I'm a sheep. And you say, I guess that's enough. You say that the veneer is enough. Even though your appetite and everything that you do betrays that you're a wolf, you begin to agree with the fact that just the profession of being a sheep along with this stupid coat is enough. And so you buy into the veneer and you affirm the veneer. Okay? Now, if this isn't helping, like, maybe jog some ideas in your, your brain, here's the problem. You, you, I've only been the pastor here for... What is it? I'm going on year seven, I think. Is that right? Okay, year seven. And you, you have some things already baked into your worldview. And, and you brought those in. And so some of those things may be more wishy-washy than you ought to be about some wolfy things or some wolfy ideas. And so um, 
I'm going to do some, like, <laughs> some pokey kind of work this morning to help you not be that kind of person that it's soft, that's going to get gobbled up by false teachings and, and not um, obey Christ. Okay, so the veneer is not how you will identify them. How will you do it? By their fruit. So what is the fruit? Well, it's their appetites and what they betray. So all false teachers, all wolfy types have the same things, like they have the same things in common. There's a, a trait, the fruit uh, of what they do. And the first is compromise, okay? They're always, they're always going to compromise um, uh, different, in different areas. Let me put it that way, different areas. So the first thing that they want to compromise is on the clarity of, of God's word. And uh, this is seen all the time, and it's like, um, I, know that, I know the Bible says that, but it doesn't apply anymore. Or here's what that really means. If you look at the Greek word, Jesus didn't really say that. What he really meant was this, okay? They want to compromise about the, the, the word is the per, perpiscuity or the clarity of God's word. Did God really say? Okay? Could I say it that way? And that's, that's the question. They want to compromise and find a common ground. Hey, you, that's okay. You can think that. You're probably not right. And I'll just have my way, and you have your way. And they want to find that compromise, okay? And they want to find that compromise, and that's not a compromise that you should make. But they want you to do that. The other thing is they want to, they want to compromise in the area of obedience. So it's, it's a, this is different than whether or not God's word actually says it. This is, I know God's word says it, but that's an area that, like, you know, it's okay. Like, it, it's, um, it's amoral or something, or it doesn't really matter. Or they want to affirm you in your sin so that you will ignore their sin, Okay? And, and you're okay, and I'm okay, and we'll just go our separate ways. Because if we start judging each other, who knows where that'll end, right? We might actually have some accountability, and we don't want that, right? And so they want you to compromise in the area of obedience to what God's word says. They also want to compromise on the person of Jesus, okay? So, um, man, there, there's different examples I could give you. There's so many. But uh, the, the modern movement has, has come up with the idea that, like, there's a way that we can get to, yeah, we'll admit that there's a historical Jesus, but most of what's in the Bible isn't probably accurate. It's not true. It's like mythology. But so they want to compromise. On, or, or like Jesus was a good guy. He was a prophet. He even came from God, but he wasn't God. He wasn't God in the flesh. They want to compromise on the person of Jesus, okay? And then the last place is, is what grace means, okay? So this kind of encompasses all of them. So it says, the gospel says, yes, God's provided a way for you and that's his grace to you. But grace actually means that you can do whatever you want. It's covered under grace. Let's sin all the more, okay? And that's the the last kind of area that you'll see compromise. And then the second commonality is that they're they're always greedy. They, they, They enrich themselves. They're greedy for gain. They're greedy for attention. They're greedy for power or literal enrichment off of you the other sheep, okay? And so here's, those, those are some ways that you can identify those things. Now, um, I want to show you in, uh, sorry, let me scroll back up. In 1 Timothy uh, and 2 Timothy, where Paul is going to warn Timothy about false teachers and like what, what will happen when we don't take the word of God seriously, like we don't actually apply it to our lives, we compromise on some of the things and we start kind of going our own way we follow our own little sheep nose to our own little sheep pastures and find our own way, okay? So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it starts out like this. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, disobedient to their parents, teens, ungrateful, disobedient to their parents, okay, 
unholy, so I mean, it's the right, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Is that a list? Okay. Now, this list is going to be followed by a really familiar passage, but I just want you to connect. So all of these things that you'd be like, somebody that belongs to God surely wouldn't follow and do those things. And it says they, they are lovers of pleasure. They're self-fulfilling kinds of people. Having the appearance of godliness. They can wear, they wear the sheep wool on the outside. They have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. Avoid such people. Don't affirm them. Don't have sympathy for their ideas. Don't say, hey, maybe if we just let you in the fellowship long enough, you'll come along to see the truth. For among them are those Okay, now I've broken this little list out into a couple of different things. Among them are those who, they creep into households. That's not a, um, that's not a word about the church. Isn't that interesting? So, so they actually worm your way in, in, into, they worm their way into your, your life. And they ingratiate themselves to you and you invite them over and you have dinner and you start doing life together. And so they creep into your life that way and take hold of influence over you. And they use this to wield that kind of empathy and sympathy emotion. This is the problem. This is the problem. They, they creep into your, your way of thinking in your, your life and you love them, but you ought not to. They creep into household and they capture weak women. This is not an, an indictment. It's not a sexist statement. He's saying there's, um, he's, he's probably referring to those that are either widowed or singled. They don't have any protection. There's nobody to help them. And so they take advantage of those kinds of people. And, and so they give up and over-influence and control into their, their lives and their way of thinking. So they creep into the household. They capture weak women who are burdened with sins. Now, I want to stop here because this bears a little bit more of our time. Because here's the idea. They compromise on what God's word says. They compromise on whether or not we should obey God's word. And they compromise on grace. And they say something like, look, you seem like depressed. You know, and maybe you're like just being too hard on yourself and you're burdened with maybe the, the, the genuine conviction of the spirit of sin in your life and they want to dismiss that. You're, they, they use the burden, the, the good, right burden of a conscience of the Holy Spirit and they say, look, you don't, that's, you're, you're, you're missing it, man. God's, God's uh, done away with all the law. You don't have to worry about that and they take advantage of that. And, they, allow, and they, they bring you into their viewpoint where you can compromise on obedience. You can compromise on what grace means. Grace means you don't have to worry about sin anymore. You shouldn't be worried about your conscience, okay? And so they creep in and they, they find those who are uh, weak or the burden with sins and they are led astray by various passions. They are led astray and they lead you astray because they're, 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 their God is their stomach. Their God is their, what they desire. They want to only fulfill their own needs and their own selves and so they're always learning. They're never able to arrive at the knowledge, the truth. Okay? So that's a, that's a pretty intense list. And so all false teachers and false teachings uh, always reveal who they are because the fruit is not necessarily in, in uh, what they have on the outside, but what, they, what their appetite is and what they try to get you to do as well. Right? They try to bring you into that. And so my caution to you is, is just like Paul said, um, Hey, you got to be on alert. And the way that you are alert is not by, not by identifying every possible false teaching there is. That would be the wrong way to do this. The wrong way to go about false teaching, I've, I'll use the illustration. It's been used lots of times. But 
Um, if, you're, if you're somebody that's trying to um, make sure that like a currency is legit, it's not counterfeited, okay, you, you spend time studying the, the real item, right? You, you want to know it inside and out. You want to know it at a glance, at a feel. Like you, you need to know what the real genuine currency is. You don't go study all of the different fakes. Otherwise, that would be confusing, right? And there's too many to worry about. Now, uh, I say this because what Paul said was that for three years, he did not cease um, warning them for night and day. Remember that for three years, I did not cease night or day to plead with you with tears. Does that mean that every day in the Hall of Trans, he got up and he said, guys, the sky's falling. There's going to be false prophets that come. And so let me just give you another 10 teachings today about the things that you... I don't think that's what happened. In fact, I know that's not what happened because it said he reasoned for three years in the Hall of Tyrannus about the kingdom of God. He taught them the genuine item. He wanted to be sure that they would hold fast to what was true so that when the false thing came in later, they could resist it and get rid of it. Does that make sense? So the idea is to, to be very familiar with and know what the genuine thing is. For three years, he warned them about what the genuine article was. Let me, let me, uh, I want to also read something from 1 Timothy. So after that, after that long list of, of sins and how people compromise on the word of God, and they, they're always studying, but they never come to that, that, like, the truth. And so they, they, they wander off into different things. And in 1 Timothy, um, Paul had said something very similar to Timothy, that some will depart the faith by devoting themselves to, to teachings of demons and doctrines of demons. And though uh, through the insincerity of liars because their consciences are seared. They forbid marriage. They require abstinence from food that God created and to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So there is a place for grace, but you have to know like what it's, what it's meant for and how it actually applies in your life. And it doesn't apply to just allowing sin to come in and not being obedient to the word of God. So after that long list that I had said, we come to the familiar passage that says this, because all scripture is God-breathed, useful for correction and reproof and training that the man or woman of God might be complete, made whole, brought to maturity. That's the intention of what Jesus said about feed my lambs. Even from the very young, like train them in the way that they should go. Sure, feed you too or bring you into against your will. Why? Because they, they come in, they arise and they speak per perversions. See, they take what's true, they change it just to duff. See, the, the difference between the discernment of what's true and what's not true is sometimes not like so blatant. It's what's true and what's almost true. What's true and what's really close to true, but not all the way true. And that little bit of discernment is the difference between getting eaten for lunch and being safe, okay? And so he says, what will happen is they'll arise, they'll speak twisted things and to do what? To draw away. They'll use your appetite against you because sheep are natured to do something, to, to fulfill their needs. You're going to eat something. You're going you're gonna to listen to someone. You're going to follow somewhere. And so what they do is they use your appetite against you. And, and they draw you away from the pack that you ought to remain in. So they twist the truth, they pervert it, and they draw it. Why? Because they want attention for themselves. They draw the disciples after themselves, literally to follow them. The word there for draw away is the same word for like drawing a sword, okay? They're, they're drawing you away from 
your resting place, like where you're supposed to be, and to separate you away. It is not to pet you, okay? It's to eat you, okay? They draw you away using your own nature against you. They want to, to allure you. It says um, in James that when, when, when we sin, it's, yes, because temptation, but that temptation is, is like looking down into inside of us and our own desires are like pregnant with sin. And it says when those desires like develop and they come to maturity, then they give birth to sin. And so the idea here is like there's, there's a nature inside you, your desires, that if you follow those, if, they, if I appeal to your flesh, I say, look, guys, like we're good. Jesus paid it all. Let's just continue in sin. That sounds like, okay. I mean, to your flesh it does, right? Now, if, if it doesn't sound okay, that's good. I want you to say, bad wolf, okay? But look, <laughs> that's, the kind of, that's the kind of appetite they appeal to though, right? So it's to get you to indulge an appetite that you have in your flesh. And so you, you, you kind of wander away. Well, maybe there is better pasture over there. I'll follow this guy. He's promising better pasture. So the consistency, listen, of following God is not, again, just obtained by being amidst other sheep that belong. It, it's not obtained by just sitting in a place where truth is being said. You actually have to, like, remember, you have to follow, and you have to, like, consume the food that's being, uh, where, of where you're being put. Okay, so all this focus comes to uh, the antidote. Let me scroll for a second. In uh, the last verse here that we're on. Verse 32. So we're only going to do like the first, um, like half of this verse, and then we'll, we'll pick it up next week. So Paul says, uh, I'm warning you that like after I leave, the tendency is going to be for somebody to rise up, and they're going to they're say the kinds of things that twist what's almost almost true, and they're going to draw people by their appetites, and they're going to tear the flock apart. So be on, be on your guard. Like, it's going to happen. So, so my concern is that you, like, hold fast because I, I sincerely taught you the truth. I, I put you in good pasture. I taught you for three years. Make sure you don't leave, okay? Make sure you don't leave. Obey the word of God. But then he says, look, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Because ultimately, like, we all, like sheep, have gone astray, okay? I can only entrust you to God. Paul can only entrust the church to God. It's, it's God's own hand that keeps us safe. And that's what Jesus says there at the end of that John 10 passage. My sheep know, know me. They hear my voice. They follow me. I lead them in and out. I put them in the pen at night. They're safe. They belong to me, and I won't lose any of them. They're safe in my hand. No one can snatch them from me. So, like, if you belong, you belong. But listen... If you belong, you obey. This really comes down to, to obedience. And that's a dirty word for us. We don't like it. You need to listen and obey. Listen and obey. When Jesus gives the great commission to the disciples, right, like his last words, here's what I need you guys to do. Go disciple the nations, teaching them everything that I said. Yeah, he said that, but there's a word in there, teaching them to Observe or obey is the word there. Obey. A shepherd doesn't feed the sheep individually by mashing food into its mouth, does it? We cannot force feed you. And like our, our sheepy kind of like lazy attitude sometimes is like, where's my wheatgrass smoothie, Mitch? 
Line it up, put it in a coconut shell, and feed me. And like, that's kind of like one of the most often tropes for why people leave church. Like, well, I wasn't being fed. Like, were you in the pasture? So who's, who's responsible to feed you? Who's responsible to discern the, the voice of the shepherd? You are. You're responsible to eat and, and to understand the distinctions between what's grace and what's not. So I commend you to God because he's the one that's ultimately going to help you in that by his spirit. So what it comes down to, though, is that application and obedience and what does grace really mean? That the grace is what's actually going to keep you, what's going to build you up and what's going to <laughs> keep you in, in his pasture. So all of the focus on this is that sheep don't fare well on their own, right? You're, you're given to your own nature. And so the warning here is this, like, be aware that not everyone who presents in the way that you think that a sheep ought to present is, is actually what they're doing. Like, what does their appetite betray? What does your appetite betray? And, and, <laughs> when wolfy behavior crops up, we, we don't give quarter to sympathy or empathy for wolves. We're not called to. That's, the, that's, the, that's um, a really important and hard word. So obedience is not um, regimented. If you don't do this, we kick you out. It is the word of his grace that is able to keep you. So understanding the necessity of that uh, is paramount. So listen, look, at, look, it all boils down to the clarity on the gospel. Do you understand that you are in need of grace? Okay. Why? Well, because, because I'm a sinner and I go astray and I need, I need rescue. Okay. Well, that's in place. Okay. Well, so, so God sent Christ to pull you out of the pit because you were upside down and he gave you a word. Listen, follow me. I'll, teach, I'll put you in good pastures. I'll feed you what you need. I'll give you rest. I'll keep you safe. I promise no one will steal you. But you gotta follow me, right? So there, there's the word of his grace to, to the knowledge that he's come, that he's provided a way, and he wants you to remain in that. And the way that you remain in that is to follow him, to listen. Not to say, okay, he, he rescued me. Now I'm on my own. And that's what grace means. So this is a, a very, it's not a nuance. It's a pretty clear distinction, but it's one that we kind of like fail to make. And so we categorize any kind of obedience is like, well, we're not under the law or, you know, guys. I leave it to you to decide whether or not I'm making a distinction that isn't there. Your safety is not insured unless you follow, it says, Jesus said, in and out. You follow him wherever he goes. You go in and out. You're you are secured by following his word wherever he leads and he puts you away at night and not just that you're off on your own doing your own thing. So all of this is a great big illustration and analogy for like how we follow, what we should do, holding fast to the word of God and understanding that it is his grace that brings us in, it's his grace that keeps us and his grace that will bring us home. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for